Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, our Twilight Zone series. This is episode 14, Third from the Sun. I'm your host, Jimbo, and once again, joined by my uh, Twilight Zone co-host, Mr. Eric Cummings, better known as ADZ. What's up, everybody? How are we doing today? Good, good. You know, um, we started this contest and we gave the word... Uh, last episode the first one so let's go ahead and throw the uh go ahead and give us a word for this this episode eric for the contest we're going to do it right here at the beginning okay you want me to come up with a word to from this episode give me give me a word okay just give me a word for the contest right here you're on the spot you you threw this one at me and this is kind of my deep dive so i'm gonna you threw this one uh threw me a curveball i Uh, threw you i threw you a terrence question uh, right here right exactly i'm gonna go with the word telephone and i'm gonna explain that later uh but the word telephone uh will be the magic word for this episode Magic word is telephone. So remember to send that to me at the email at the tragedy of cinema dot com or at gmail dot com uh, with the your name and that we will have the drawing on October thirty first sometime after eight pm. So Eric, let's go ahead and start talking about this oh, episode. Take it away. Okay, uh, the episode number fourteen. This is season one, episode fourteen of the Twilight Zone. It is entitled Third from the Sun. And it was directed by Richard L. Bear, and the teleplay are uh, written by Rod Serling. And it's based on, I have here in my notes, it's based on uh, Richard Matheson. I don't really have a whole lot of information about Richard Matheson. But the original air date was on January 8th, 1960. Alright, January 8th, 1960. Right, so, so the, here we see again, we see Richard Matheson... 
Uh, again, um, he wrote another short story that this is based on. So okay. um, I'd like to try to find a book or something of his short stories. I think that would be interesting to see, you know, read the actual short stories and see how it progressed into the actual tele- teleplay of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the cast real quick. Uh, Fritz Weaver plays Will Sturka. Uh, Fritz was in Creep Show, uh, where he played Dexter Stanley. And he was also in the Thomas Crown Affair, and he played John Reynolds. Uh, Edward Andrews plays Carling. Um, he was in Sixteen Candles. Yes, as uh, Howard Grandpa. He was also in. He was. <laughs> he was also in Gremlins, as Mister Corbin. Uh, he was uh, also in Tora Tora Tora, where he played Admiral Harold Stack. Yeah. So this guy. Th- I like this guy, man. This guy is pretty, pretty good. Uh, just his look, you know what I mean. It's just uh, he kind of reminded me of uh, uh, what was it, Roger Ebert. He kind of looks like Roger Ebert. <laughs> you know what I mean, the famous uh, uh, yeah. reviewer. Uh, John Maros uh, was Jerry Ryden. Denise Alexander as Jody Sturka. Lori March as Eva Sturka, and Gene Evans as Anne Ryden. So the synopsis for this episode is. Two men who work for the government plan to steal a spaceship <laughs> and take their families away before a nuclear catastrophe happens. So there you have it. So two guys working for the government and a nuclear war is about to break out. What could go wrong? I mean, it is 2020 right now, so anything's possible, right, I guess. Right. So, Eric, let's go ahead and oh, take it away. Okay, so we uh, opened this particular episode. Uh, looks like it's in a, a gated area, a uh, uh, top-secret type of government facility, and there are uh, guards that are checking people's IDs as they exit the facility, uh, maybe on a lunch break or something. But uh, William Sturka goes out to have a smoke, and this eerily weird character named Carling approaches him. He is just... He just plays the part perfectly. He's he's kind of he does. It's he's kind of a man. creepy guy. He he's always lurking in the background, and we'll, we'll see that as the episode goes along. But he's kind of like I don't know a government. Maybe he's a paid government informant. We don't know, but he's always got his ear to the ground. He's always um, trying to investigate. He's always prowling around all the time throughout this entire uh, episode. But uh, so we meet Gurkha. And they have a conversation, and uh, we come to discover that uh, there's a nuclear holocaust. Again, just another running theme throughout the Twilight Zone. Uh, A nuclear holocaust is imminent, and it's going to happen in about 48 hours or so, they're guesstimating. And it's going to obliterate millions and millions of people. And uh, boom, what's the line? Boom, whoosh, whammo, or whatever is exchanged in this uh, initial uh, conversation. And um, so, so these two are talking, and um, again, just Carling is just so creepy, and he's, you know, I don't know, it's just kind of hard to explain. <laughs> he's just, uh, just a weird guy. And so that that scene ends. Go ahead, Jimbo. Did you want to? Say something regarding that scene. Well, I, I thought he, I thought he always kind of looked like Boss Hog in his all white suit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what he looked like. Yeah. So yeah, he kind of has the uh, memory of the old uh, famous announcer for the Cubs, Harry Carey. He kind of has the Harry Carey glasses on too. Yep, he does. And um, this is interesting. Like when we change scenes, we have like some mid narration too, which 
Uh, I think that was only used in a few of the episodes, but Rod Serling comes in right. and he sort of describes um, the atmosphere and the, the mood. And then we go to, uh, the next scene we go to is Sturka's house. Uh, well, actually, we go to the, the old commercial break and then we come back and we're <laughs> in Sturka's house. And um, he's, uh, I think he talks with his daughter, uh, whose name is Jody, right? So he's... He, he, he's kind of in distress because of this conversation that he's had with Carling and you know uh, he's sort of pacing around his house and he's listening to um, some music I think on the, the phonograph the old style phonograph and then he in comes his daughter Jody and uh, she tell you know the, they she tells him she wants to have a dance with him but you know he's he you know uh, Sturkus he's tired he's got a lot on his mind and so Jody sits down and she starts asking, you know, is this something serious or, you know, what's going on, Dad? And she starts to ask him about his job. And, you know, he tells her, well, she says, is, is it hard work creating all these bombs? And he's obviously like maybe a nuclear physicist or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and he sort of tries to absolve himself of any, um, you know, wrongdoing. Because here's this guy, he's making all these um, deadly weapons, but he, he explains to his daughter, it, you know, there are hundreds and thousands of people who work on small individual parts that make up these atomic bombs. And it's man who uh, distorts and, you know, turns everything that was, that, you know, the scientists make these things for good or they make these discoveries and they're to be for the good of humankind. But in man's, you know, twisted humanity and his... Uh, his evilness that he they they subvert it they they make it into something bad and he sort of tries to absolve or ease his conscience maybe that here's the fact that he's working on these uh atomic weapons that can wipe out millions of people but he's not the only one it's it's a team of people go ahead Jim. right it's not just the pressure is just not on on him it's actually on you know the whole entire team even though he may have a tiny thing he's about to say there's thousands of people that touch this everything so it's not all on me and his daughter, all she's worried about is she's got a hot date that night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's got she's got a date, and he's like, no, 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 no. I want you to stay home and play cards. You know, and she's like, but dad, <laughs> right, know? right. You know, typical teenagers. We all have them. Yeah, I can, uh, I can definitely, so ahead, yeah, I can definitely relate to the teenage daughter thing, and and uh, being upset if she's asked to to break a date, but she Jody concedes. <laughs> And I mean, just the idea that here's his friend Jerry, and he he says, "Oh, he's got all these great stories. You got to be here when he comes over and tells the stories." And right. she's kind of like, "Oh, all right, I guess if I have to, you know." She could, t- you can tell that she's upset that she has to break her date. But the whole reason behind, you know, Sturka wanting he wants all of his family in the house because we're going to find out later that they've got a plan, and the plan is as is, is later revealed that they are going to escape their uh planet that they're on they're gonna es- escape their environment and they're they're gonna this friend jerry that's coming over we discover that he's a like a test pilot guy and he knows how to fly this uh top secret spaceship that they know about and they're gonna escape this holocaust jerry his wife Anne, and the sturkas are all gonna uh they have a plan they have a way to get out of this but at this particular point, let me back up. He he he's going over. He tells his wife there's like a bedroom scene where they go up, and you know he's standing in front of the mirror, and he has to 
tell his wife all the things that are going on about this uh, huge Holocaust that's about to, to take place and that, you know, his plans to for, for exactly that, to get their, uh, their family out of harm's way. And um, so after that, we fast forward and uh, Jerry is, you know, greeted by Jody at the front door. And this, this particular friend to Jerry, the test pilot, has come over to talk to Sturka. And so we meet, uh, we meet Jerry for the first time. And uh, Bill comes down the stairs, Sturka comes down, and they have a conversation. And Jerry wants to talk about, uh, you know, their plans for escape. And Bill stops him right, like, but, right in the middle. But he's, 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 right, but, but the whole reason they went downstairs is because he wanted him to fix his pocket watch. Yeah. Remember, that, that, he's like, this watch. He's like, it stopped again. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it is. He's like, well, he's like, you know, and he's like, let me take it. You know, he's yelling a little bit louder so his wife will overhear him. Hey, let me go downstairs, or if anybody's listening, uh, hey, because you you got a feeling that this is like a government-controlled area, like like there could be bugs anywhere, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he's got this pocket watch. He's like, yeah, let's go downstairs. He's like, I can see what we do, you know, and he goes downstairs, he shuts the door, and and, and, and uh, what's his name? Jo- uh, Jerry's like uh, getting ready to start talking. He's like, ah, wait a minute. You know, he's like, oh, I see what you got here. You know, your spring's broken. And he's like, I can take that. And he turns on a drill. So to drum out the noise of anybody that may be listening or any bugs in there. And he's like, okay, now we can talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was one interesting thing. Uh, I noticed an interesting scene change. Yeah, th- after Jerry and and uh, Sturka have this conversation, you know, Jerry just wants, like you just said, Jibbo, he wants to just blur out what's going on. And he's like, no, 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 no. Let's go downstairs. Let's keep it keep it quiet yeah yeah and they they kind of in make up the whole thing about the pocket watch uh that jerry that he's going to go to the garage or workshop to fix jerry's pocket watch and so it's interesting the scene change you uh you have them in the entryway and then the very next scene is they're inside this uh, workshop or garage and so they they sit down oh well before they sit down and uh Sturka starts working on the pocket watch they have to go and turn on the, the drill press or whatever. They have to have that background noise exactly for what you just said, Jimbo. There's, it's probably government housing because he works at a government facility, so everything's being monitored. So they begin to discuss uh, the preliminaries of their plan while the uh, while Sturka fixes his watch. Right, and then this, this is where the creepy man comes in once again. Yes. Because, you know, after 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 the, he, he actually goes over, you know, he actually does fix the watch, though. He, he does. It wasn't working. He does get it going again. And they go over there, and, and he shuts the drill press down, and he's like, well, you guys come over later for cards or whatever. And he goes upstairs. Well, as they leave or whatever, it uh, fades to the window by the and, the, and there you see the creepy old guy, Carling, looking in there, just got that look on his face. I have a question for you. If... <laughs> Sturka and Jerry are literally side by side talking with a drill press going in the background, and Sturka is outside of a window. How can he hear their conversation when they're almost like mumbling? I know, I know it has to be for uh, continuity for the episode because that's how uh, Carling knows where to find them later in the episode at the test site or the launch pad or whatever. But there's no way that guy could hear all that stuff of uh, their conversation. I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, okay. Well, let's think about this. This is the government. Um, True. You, they could probably put a little microchip, microchip in some of the clothing. Uh, maybe they even implanted them with a chip or something back then. You know what I mean? Um, I know it's early 1960s or whatever. You know, but uh, but I mean, 
Okay, I'm going to give the spoiler way to the ending of this right now. So just so you know where we're going. They're not on Earth, okay? Oh. So they're, they're, it, and, well, I know, but I'm just saying, I told you I was giving away the spoiler right now. But what I'm saying is, so their technology could be advanced further than what ours is that we kind of, that like what we're talking about right now. We're thinking in our terms of technology. We're not thinking about what their technology is somewhere else. Um, as you will, I'm sure, given away by the answer for the uh, question or the, the one word question. I know where you're going with that, too, because that's a very interesting point. Um, for your word telephone, as you will see later on in this episode. Um, but uh, my question was the telephone. Did did did, um, did Jerry already call to come over right now, or is that later, um, the, the telephone? I don't know that Jerry ever calls in this episode. I can't recall. Does he not call? Okay. But the, like his boss calls on the telephone. That's what it is. Okay, yeah, yeah he yeah, calls yeah. on the telephone. Yeah. But uh, the, ne- um, the next so, one... Okay, before we get into... Okay. I don't want to give anything away. I already gave away a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? So let's just go and go back to where we were. So so we got the creepy guy looking in the bottom, yep. and then we go to the next scene. The next scene is the, uh, the, the, the couples are gathered, and Jody is there, and they're playing cards. They're having a card night. I think I neglected to mention that earlier. That's why Jerry and their friend Ann, uh, the couple, were coming over to play cards. That was earlier in the scene. That kind of sets the stage for later on. But really, it's just an excuse to have this meeting. So Jerry has a huge diagram that he pulls out on a piece of paper, and he's talking with Sturka, and he's explaining to him that this other planet is uh, that they're going to go to for safety is like 11 million miles away. And they're discussing the particulars right. of their journey and you know all the things that, uh, that will be necessary. And he, he said, Jerry tells Bill that, yes, it's populated, but they, they have a language that's not dissimilar to ours. And so, and they, they talk about the, uh, the, the spacecraft or whatever. And then, lo and behold, uh, there's a knock or a ring at the, on the doorbell. And who is it? It's Carling. Right, again. but... This guy should Right, up. but this is where, be, while they're talking, um, I think they tell their wives to go get cake and something, don't they? Because... They tell him to go get cake or whatever, and then they start drawing on a napkin or a piece of paper. Remember, they're drawing out like the map. But hey, well, here's the spaceships right here. You know, we gotta we gotta go through the fence here. You know, they got all these diagrams on the back of this or on this napkin or whatever. And uh, as the ladies go, because they even take the uh, the younger the daughter into the uh, kitchen or whatever to help what was a, a lemonade and, and cake. Is that what it was? Yeah, they're making. Uh, they have lemonade and cake, and then the the doorbell. Like I said earlier, the doorbell rings right. and in comes Carling. And so, of course, they <laughs> offer him, uh, they ask him if he wants cake. And he says, no, I just want lemonade. Uh, and then he goes, you know, Carling knows what's going on. He knows that these these two are in cahoots and trying to, but he's really slimy in his approach. And he's trying to, go ahead, Jimbo, you're. Right. How would he know? How would he know they were having lemonade? Because they never say <laughs> lemonade. Well, if you watch the episode, I don't think they say lemonade. No. They said they asked him if he wants a piece of cake. He's like, no, I'll just take lemonade. So that's what I I thought that was really weird. Yeah, he, unless I'm misremembering, maybe they did say lemonade. But I I think that also sets up to the thing of maybe it's bugged in the house. You know what I mean? Uh, could be. Um, he uh, he enters, of course, and he he asks all of these. He he makes statements like, "Boy, it's a it's a nice night. It's a it's a the kind of night you just want to sit on the porch and do nothing." He makes kind of these generalized statements, 
letting you know that he knows what's going on, and but he doesn't want them to know that he knows what's going on, and so he just right. He makes these series of creepy statements, which is why he plays the character so well. And he walks over to the table, and on that piece of paper that you mentioned earlier, it's flipped upside down, but there's like a glass table, and the camera shot is from underneath the table. And so you can see that diagram that, that uh, Sturka and Jerry were just discussing. Um, well, because they, they, they flipped it over because they see him coming in, right. and on the other side has their has their running totals of who owes who what money for this card game or who, how many points or whatever they're in the, the lead. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, no, he's going to know that if he flips this paper over, you know, he's going to know their entire plan. Exactly. There's a lot of tension there. And what <laughs> this is how my mind works. I was trying. I could not figure out what kind of card game were they playing at the table because they were just going around saying numbers. And I tried to figure out what card game that could have been that they were playing at the table, but I I couldn't come up with anything. Well, again, don't forget where they're at. So it might not be any game that you've (laughs) ever heard of, right? Could be. Could be. So this, uh, this exchange, you know... Oh, here comes the real dramatic scene is when... uh, Excuse me. Carling goes and he goes for his pack of cigarettes because he asked for his cigarettes. And uh, the the paper that, that we were just discussing earlier is right next to the cigarettes. And Carling looks. And it's a real dramatic scene. Like he's going to pick up that piece of paper and then discover their plan. But then Jerry kind of puts his hand on it and starts writing out those totals for the, the card game. And then actually later, Carling does pick up the, the paper that he's writing on. But only on one side. He doesn't flip it over right. and see the plans. He just looks at the the running totals uh, for the card game of who owes who, uh, how much money or whatever. I wonder. I want. I wonder if it was on Penn Station napkins like you just showed me. Could be. Could be. I was demonstrating. I was demonstrating. I know you were. He's over here doing all kinds of motions and everything, and he picked up these napkins and it was Penn Station napkins written on the backside that I could see, not him. So. Yeah. So, so here I'm at that scene right now, and it's a long pause, and like Carling is staring at the at those running totals, and I mean the the audience probably was on the edge of their seat, as I know I was, and then you think their their plan is going to be found out, uh, but he doesn't. He puts it down. He you know Carling doesn't discover the paper uh, with all their information on it, and then so they exchange a few more uh, unpleasantries, I guess. Like, the people, uh, you know, the couples, they just can't wait for Carling to leave. I mean, they're just on edge completely. Uh, So Carling decides he's finally going to go home. And the uh, the people in the room finally, you know, they breathe a sigh of relief. And then he goes out onto the porch and talks to Sturka. And he asks him, do you believe that there are other people on these other stars out here? The stars are, he explains that the stars are out. And so they have a conversation, and Sturka says, yeah, I believe there are other uh, people on other planets. And so they have this little mini-conversation, and then it closes with uh, Carling saying, well, I guess I'll see you tomorrow, like at work. And, and Sturka says, yeah, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Like, hurry up, get out of here so we can so we can get out of here, so to speak. Right, right, right. And um, so once... Uh, the creepy guy leaves. They tell Jody their plan. The daughter, uh, she's finally. It's finally revealed to her that they're they're leaving. They're uh, they're going to avoid this nuclear holocaust. And so, then we come to the infamous scene 
uh, where the boss calls and he call the boss calls Sturka and tells him he needs to come in immediately tonight. And we see this futuristic contraption. Now I I thought this was <laughs> I thought maybe this was a prop for this particular episode. Uh, and what I'm nope. speaking of is the telephone that's in that uh, Sturka calls on. This was the you know craziest looking telephone that I've ever seen, and it turns out that it actually was a real telephone during that era, and it was made by the Ericsson Company. It was a one-piece plastic telephone, which is our secret word, created by the Ericsson Company of Sweden, and it was marketed through the second half of the 20th century. It was first commercially marketed uh, as a telephone with the dial and the handset as a single unit. If you're if you're familiar at all with those old style telephones or rotary phones, they were two pieces. There was the rotary part and then the earpiece that said on the rotary part. Well, this was all in one piece. And you can see it when Sturka picks up the phone that the rotary part of the phone is on the bottom. And it's all one big plastic piece. And I just thought that was really interesting and kind of did a deep dive on that. Right. Well, another thing is it's actually it was called an it's actually an Ericophone is what it's called E R I C O F O N. Um, it was the first time on uh, TV to emphasize the presumably futuristic setting of a story. Um, the Swedish design phone was largely unavailable for u- us our use in the U.S. because AT and T still maintained its monopolistic control on all telephone equipment, and they did not allow anything but AT and T designed equipment for household use back then. Interesting. I know also one other little tidbit that there is, uh, it's on display actually in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. There's uh, a couple of those, uh, uh, Erico, is that what you call them? Erico telephone. Uh, Ericophone or phone. Yeah. I guess F-O-N. It's Swedish, so maybe we'll have to do a road trip. Maybe. (laughs) I just thought that was... I thought that was really cool. I'd never seen one before, ever, and I thought maybe it was just created as a prop for this particular episode, but apparently it was a mass-produced uh, phone in the twenty later part of the 20th century. Right. And you think maybe that's where they bugged their house? Possibly. Could be. Right. All right. So we go back to our episode here. We did a little highlight on a, a, a small little object there in the episode. So we... Go back to our episode. Um, so he receives the call from the boss, and the boss tells him he needs to come in immediately that night. And so every after he hangs up, uh, Sturka hangs up with his boss. He says, "Man, we got everybody's like we got to get out of here. We got to leave now." So they pack up and they drive out to the the emergency test site area, the gated area. And one other thing of note is the the noise from the car. To me, in this scene, when they're driving to the test site, it sounds like the Batmobile of the, the 1960s. And <laughs> I thought that was uh, pretty cool. Well, that's... But but you got to remember, the, the Batmobile, the, that didn't even come out till 66, so this is actually before the Batmobile. So maybe they used the sounds from this episode and put it into the 1960s uh, Batman uh, series. Who knows? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, right. So uh, they're at the gate. We see a, a flashlight flashing... Uh, Jerry thinks it's his friend that he's uh, kind of paid off the, the guard that's going to let him in. Uh, but as this particular person comes closer, we see that it is Carling. This guy will not go <laughs> away. Is he is like back. a disease. He's just always lurking around. So they're just like, oh, no, our plan is ruined. Carling, uh, this informant government official or whatever he is, he's got his pistol drawn. 
and they're everyone in the car the ladies in the car are all scared and jerry and circa are uh, you know they're scared so they have a conversation circa is not going to let them leave the planet you know he's going to stop their plan so you know carling comes out and through a, a series of events there's a scuffle which i thought that was a pretty cool fight scene like uh you know once the uh i think it was jody she like swings the door open to the car and it hits uh carling and then he kind of doubles over and then sturka jumps over the the roof of the car and strangles carling while jerry's like punching him or holding him and uh jimbo do you have something well well he had a gun yeah yeah Carling Carling has a gun gun, so uh that's when they got the when they opened up the car door or whatever and it or it was his wife or whatever you know hit the gun out of his hand he lost the the gun you know what i mean so then they basically knock out carling and take the gun yep uh, and they just leave him laying there and they just go open the gates and they just drive on through yep they drive on through they go to the spaceship and then they're like uh or i I guess it's a spaceship it looks like a flying saucer (laughs) you know and they, they drive up, and then they take out a couple more guards that are, are guarding, and then there's like a loudspeaker that uh, that comes over, and and the, the voice is saying, you know, they, they've they got, uh, I, I can't remember what it was. they got an unidentified, an unidentified vehicle or unauthorized vehicle right. on the runway, basically. Right, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And so they, uh, they run up the stairs um, to the spaceship, and, you know, they kick a few guards and policemen. <laughs> Uh, I like I like yeah. the strings holding the ramp. Do you see the little strings? There's <laughs> <laughs> like little, little fishing lines holding yeah. the ramp. Yeah, <laughs> that is good. So then we're on board the vessel here, and then it was interesting to me, just from an audio sense too, like the sounds that the spaceship is making sound very similar to the 1960s Star Trek, the Gene Roddenberry, like all of the the bells and whistles from the uh, from the computers coming off. That was interesting well, too. Well, well, actually, the background noises heard aboard the ship in the final scene were reused in Star Trek. It is definitely uh, reused. Yep. Okay. Uh, So, Jerry and Sturka, they, you know, they are having this conversation. And uh, Jerry tells him, we're going to the planet. It's the the bright one to the right. And uh, he says, it's the third one from the sun. And they call it Earth. And then that's the big twist. That's the reveal. The whole episode you think that they are escaping earth when in fact they are escaping some other planet and they are trying to get to planet earth for safety and that's the big twist that's revealed at the end right so um a few other little uh notes that i have um this uh episode makes use of the uh very very heavy use of the dutch tilt camera technique if you notice the camera angles they're always tilted at a certain way or whatever um Another thing about the Erica phone, um, it was missing the numeral number nine. This wasn't a prop error. Some models of the Erica phone Cobra had the word code entry where the nine would have been. Um, the, one of the most interesting things I found about this episode is that the painting from the Twilight Zone, The Midnight Sun, in 1961 can be seen hanging on the wall behind the table during the card game. So that's set, that painting is set for a future episode of The Twilight Zone that will cover, I think, season two, I think, uh, or season three. Okay. I think season two, though. Um, in an interview years later, Fritz Weaver described his experience on the show as a baptism by fire. 
The actor was unfamiliar with acting in front of cameras, having spent his career in the theater. During filming, the director had to guide Weaver along with the use of props and appearing more naturalistic in his performance. So he was more of a theater actor than he was uh, an actual actor. Uh, the four circular sector-shaped lights on the ship's control panel were used again in episodes I Shot Narrow Into the Air, which I think is the next episode, which one of the next couple episodes will cover. Uh, the elegy and the people are alike all over. Also, the shape would be used for the Pac-Man character in the 1980 video game. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about the uh, Erica phone. Um, during the closing scene, the main characters are depicted aboard a spaceship. A reuse of the ship created for Forbidden Planet movie in 1956. Inside the navigation globe is the same as, uh, as that of the ship, while the gauges shown in the background are taken from the power dials of the mysterious machine that Dr. Morbius used to create the monsters of his ID in the same film. In Richard Matheson's original short story, the character of Carling is absent. He's not even in there. Uh, he was uh, added to the TV version to add a villain to the episode. In the original story, the two families simply just drive to the launch pad, board the ship, and they leave. <laughs> I was like, well, that's just kind of boring. Yeah, you know what I mean? well, definitely uh, Carling was uh, uh, an important piece in that episode for sure. Right. Uh, this episode aired a few years after Princeton University student Hugh Everett III wrote a thesis famously arguing that there were multiple universes. Also called the Many Worlds Theory, Everett's work inspired several science fiction stories about parallel Earths. Sturka's friend, Jerry Ryden, said the destination they're going to take the spacecraft to is 11 million miles away. From Earth, the distance to Mars is an average of 33 million miles, and Venus is 25 million miles, and both can be seen with the naked eye from the Earth in the night sky. The planet and our solar system circuit is from would certainly be seen by the naked eye at only 11 million miles away from the Earth. So they would be able to see where they were going. Um, so as as good as Rod, or as good as Serling was about the stories, the distance or the thought out plan was. Not you know he didn't have all the information, but to do what he did was still fantastic. Right, right, and the, uh, the title of this up. Sorry, that, that, yeah, just to say that the, you know the space program was basically in its infancy at this point. So yeah, all those numbers right. and all those calculations. I mean, yeah, they're not going to be a hundred percent perfect. We saw that in the episode before when the XJ twenty was uh, you know nine hundred miles in thirty hours or whatever. So th those numbers might be off a little bit, but I mean. You got to give it to the guy to even, you know, create and think of some of these things is just is awesome. And even if they're not dead on, you know, scientifically uh, still, I mean, you got to give him a little right. latitude there. Right. Uh, the title of this uh, episode obviously refers to Earth um, and its order revolving around the sun. Earth is uh, number third in the solar system after Mercury and Venus. And Earth is a, described as being in a different solar system 11 million miles away. The closest solar system to Earth is approximately, are you ready for this, 24, comma, the number 9, comma, or the number 9, and then 11 zeros after that. So <laughs> I'm going to call that a Cuisinart. I don't know what it is, but far that's away. a big number that I don't know what it is. <laughs> very, very far away. So, Eric, what do you think of this episode? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a... Uh... Again, probably not top five, but I, the the thing that made this episode so great again was the twist at the end because I watched it and I didn't pick up on the the cues at all. So when it came to the end, I was just like my mind was blown, and I think that was the intention uh, throughout. And then the uh, 
just the anticipation and being on edge, you know, wondering if their plan was going to be discovered and it was all going to be blown up uh, in a sense uh, before the before the blow up. Their plan was going to be blown up. So, uh, yeah, that that was uh, I thought it was pretty good, though, as far as the twist. And right. Well, I mean, I started to pick up on it about the time when he's like, yeah, I think there's people out there and I think that their language is kind of the same as are they speak close to the same language. I was like, well, I think I kind of know where this is going, even though you still think they're on Earth, you know, but, the, you know, the, the, the whole futuristic sitting, the, 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 the government controlled stuff, the, the telephone. Um, one thing that I noticed is um, the contrast in the clothing. You had uh, Carly, who was always wearing that bright white you know colors and the other people kind of had like dull colors you know what i mean so you could tell the contrast in their characters i thought was really well done uh the camera angles the whole card table scene was that was some intense stuff right there yeah. man because i was just waiting for him to flip that over you know what i mean but you know then again does if carling already knew that maybe he just wanted to put fear into him and say you know you better rethink this plan before you go through with it because i know what you're doing you know what i mean um and especially when he was when he was looking down through the basement window, I call it the basement window. I don't know what it was because he he kind of had to look up. It was kind of he knew what was going on, mm-hmm. and you don't know how he knew what was going on, but you knew he was it was going on. Um, and I think it was uh, you know the guy that uh, what was his name uh, Jerry, the one that had flown. He's like I've only flown it once, and it was only for a short amount of time. You know I've driven or I've I've done stuff like this before. He's like there is no prototype you know you know the, the, the i don't i if if i could get up there i might be able to drive it he's like i don't know and then you know then, then they went ahead with their plan anyway because they hey i would rather go up there and take our chance here than die in a nuclear fallout or nuclear catastrophe or whatever's going to happen because they weren't shy about there going to be a nuclear uh, problem there because even carling was like look this going to millions of people are going to die you know what i mean so um very well done I like how, you know, the, the future of the telephone and all that, you know, you're like, hey, is this the first cell phone? Because you didn't see any cord took to it, you know what I mean, when he pull, pulled it up. Um, and I just think it was really well done. Um, very, very entertaining. As most Twilight Zone episodes are, it held my attention. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think this episode's coming to a close. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget the secret word. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it is again, but it is uh, somewhere in this episode. And be on the lookout for future ones. Um, It could be at the beginning of the episode, the middle of the episode, in the middle of the cast, after the credits go, or after the the bumper music at the end. It could be anywhere in here, so you'll never know where it's going to be. So with that being said, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And Eric? And cut!